This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week is the ever-fantastic Kara Shamborski. Hey. And a very special guest, Anthony Desiato. Anthony, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to do this. We are super excited to have you here on the show. I mean, before, you know, we're here to talk about this nice little movie that's coming out. But, Anthony, I guess before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and, I guess, what brings you to comics? What's your favorite comic book right now? All right. Now, I have to admit that I'm not as current on my reading as I would like to be. But uh, that's okay. I I did very much enjoy Doomsday Clock. Uh, I caught up on that and finished that recently. And enjoyed it way more than I expected to when it, when it initially started and we set out on that journey, you know, over two years ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed the way everything came together, uh, the role that Superman ended up playing in, in the whole piece. Uh, Superman's my favorite character. Uh, so Doomsday Clock is something that, uh, you know, I recently read that I really enjoyed. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, I mean, beyond reading comic books, um, I guess, what's your what's your whole deal? You've got you've got a podcast, you've got a, you've got a movie coming out. Could you tell us a little bit about those things? Yeah, absolutely. So the documentary is called My Comic Shop Country, uh, and that comes out on April 7th on Apple TV and Amazon. And that's been really a years long journey. Um, I mean, if we really want to go back to the beginning, uh, I worked at my local comic book store, uh, which Kara shopped at, uh, called alternate realities, uh, for many years throughout high school and college and law school. Uh, and I actually made a documentary about that store, uh, about a decade ago, which is kind of crazy. Kara's in that. Was it really a decade ago? Oh, wow. I was in college. (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I realized that recently was the summer of 2010 when I made that alternate realities documentary. So it's, it's a decade. It's, it's kind of crazy. But uh, so that was my first attempt at filmmaking. And, you know, I told this story about my local shop. And then uh, five years ago, that store closed. And so I started a uh. podcast. Yes. Uh. So, <laughs> I know. We, we're, in this, we're still not over it. <laughs> never so I, forget. I know. Never. Uh, but so I started a podcast called My Comic Shop History, uh, which is still going, uh, but it started by chronicling the closing of alternate realities. And then we expanded and we've covered comic conventions and collecting and, and stores across the country. Uh, so we did that in podcast form and now in documentary form. So that's what I've been up to over, over these past few years. Holy smokes. That's a lot. Five years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, honestly, it's it's so funny. This show started about five years ago, so it's it's really funny that, like, I, I feel like I've, I've noticed that about a bunch of shows. That's not even related to today's topic or whatever we're going to talk about. But, um, no, the, the, we saw a little bit of the sizzle reel that you sent over to us about this show and this, this documentary. And, man, oh, man, I, I love the fact that, like, you got to talk to all these different comic shop owners from across the country. I mean... That's a perspective that I feel like people on the internet, we, we speculate a lot about, you know, like, oh, this is what comic book shops are like, this is what all this stuff is, um, but to actually have you go out and talk to these people and actually get their opinions on things and, and help them, like, understand what it's like to be a comic shop owner, that's that's mind-blowing. I mean, I'm, I'm always really curious about it as a big comic book fan myself, but, um, yeah, I guess, I, I, what got you into saying, you know, I'm going to make a documentary about this? Um, you said you went to law school. Uh, what made you, you know, I guess, switch over and try to make a documentary on top of, you know, being a lawyer, I don't, I don't know where that ended you up with. So I am attorney by uh, by training, but not by practice. I'm the director okay. of I'm the director of admissions at the law school that I attend. So, but it was back uh, when I was uh, in law school that I decided to make that first documentary about my local comic shop, and it stemmed really, I guess, from two things. One was, you know, I didn't necessarily love the study of law, and I was kind of looking for a creative outlet. 
uh, over uh, my first summer break during law school. And then the other aspect was just, you know, I, I enjoyed my experience shopping and working at Alternate Reality so much. It was mm-hmm. a never-ending source of, of inspiration and entertainment for me. So it, it just led to this idea of like, well, what if I made a documentary about this store and this community that I know so well and, and kind of try to take viewers into this little world that we've created for, for ourselves? Um, so that's really where it started. And then in the process of that, I mean, I really fell in love with the art of documentary filmmaking and, and you know, telling a story mm-hmm. in that way. Um, so that, that was kind of the birth of that. And then with the podcast, you know, it was a similar type of thing when once the store was closing, like I knew I had to do something, but like, I didn't know what, and it, I didn't really feel like I wanted to do another documentary about the same store, but I was like, I have to do something. And the podcast like could not have been the better vehicle. Uh, cause it just allowed us to like really, you know, tell more of our anecdotes, all these stories about the shop. I was able to incorporate so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, you know, that's how those, you know, those particular projects kind of came to be. Gotcha. And this all then led to my comic shop, my comic shop country, which is just a documentary about talking to other comic shops. Then just you're going in and asking them, why do you want run this comic book shop? Or, or I guess what's the what's the high level premise of it? Yeah. So, you know, and again, so it started with the podcast. And, you know, once I was done talking about my shop, it was sort of like, well, what well, what comes next? And, you know, along the way, you know, I the, the thought had dawned on me, well, I could go to other shops and people had suggested going to other shops. And for a little while, I was kind of resistant because I, I felt like, you know, I was able to tell AR's story because that was my store and I had this deep personal connection to it. But mm-hmm. would I would I be would I have the interest, you know, to go to other stores? Would I have the ability to tell their story when I'm not coming at it from the inside? So there were a couple of things that kind of held me back. But then I got to the point where I was like, no, I like I think this is this is where to go. And it was like I had lost my store and my community. And so it, it was basically this idea of like, well, could I try to find this somewhere else? And uh, and I'm so glad that, you know, I, I went for it. And, you know, first with the podcast and then with the documentary. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the you know, the the film explores the business, the culture and the fandom of you know, about 20 comic shops from coast to coast. Uh, it's not it's oh, wow. not a series of profiles or anything like that. I mean, it's really about shops generally. Um, you get to see the, uh, you know, how each store kind of has its different uh, flavors, different specialty. Uh, and really, mm-hmm. I think what unites all of them, uh, well, probably some of the challenges inherent to the comics industry, that's something that a lot of them share. But, you know, on a, <laughs> on a more positive note, uh, you know, really yeah. this sense of community and the fact that they are these places for people to go. And, you know, for, for any of, and I'm sure people listening to this podcast, like if you're a comic book fan, you know, you, you probably have or have had, you know, a comic shop experience at some point in your, your journey that has meant something to you where it's, it's been a part of your routine. It's been a place where you could go and share your passion with other people where maybe you don't have that opportunity anywhere else in your life. Um, so, you know, that, that's really the heart of the movie. Um, so yes, we go behind the scenes, we show you, you know, breaking down a shipment and you know what the, what the Wednesdays are like at a comic shop and all of that. But, you know, really, yeah, I mean, really at its heart, uh, you know, it's about these, these communities that have formed. I'm so curious. How did you go about choosing the stores that you visited for this documentary? That is a great question. So it was, that was a mix. Um, so I knew at the start that I wanted, so it was a mix of the creative and the logistical, to be honest. So I knew at the start Mm -hmm. that I wanted to have a variety of stores in terms of 
area of the country. Like it's called my comic shop country. So we have to go from coast to coast. So that, you know, that was in my head from the start. Um, but I wanted a variety in terms of geography, uh, duration. Um, and then again, just sort of, uh, you know, specialty. Um, so that was sort of, that was part of it. And then, you know, it was a matter of, you know, this is, this was a very independent production. So sort of like, where, where can I get to, you know, realistically? Uh, and and right. there were, there were a couple of places I was able to go because I actually had a work trip then, and I was able to piggyback some filming onto that. Um, so that, that, uh-huh. that happened there. And then, um, I mean, and as far as how I just found the stores generally, you know, for the most part, you know, there were some I, I either knew or knew of already. Um, a number were referred to me by people, you know, whose opinions, you know, I trust. And then, you know, probably a couple of instances of just sort of being like, okay, I'm no, I know I'm going to be in this place. Let me see what which stores are there. So it was very much a mix as far as how it came together. But that overall aim was really trying to present as much of a cross section as possible. And you know, as far as the number of stores, that was kind of interesting because I felt like, you know, for purposes of the film, there's a little element of spectacle. Like you want to be able to show like, hey, we went to all of these stores. But at the same time, it wasn't a volume game for me either. I mean, I really think, mm-hmm. you know, this it's not just a matter of, oh, we have so many stores. It's, you know, what we're able to show within each of them. But that was a little bit of the thinking behind the, the various shops, shop selections. Okay. And and I must know, um, how many of the shops did you visit um, had either female owners or female employees or even like a regular female clientele that you noticed? Oh, I don't have a hard number offhand, but I would say uh, at least half a dozen, I want to say, about half a dozen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there were even actually a couple of more that I visited with the podcast that I did not have the chance to go back to. Uh, with the documentary. So if you include that, yeah, definitely about half a dozen. And there are a number of husband and wife teams, uh, which, which was interesting. Okay. Oh, really? I mean, that, that kind of doesn't surprise me with its when it, when it comes to comic book shops, like being like a family owned business in a way um, where you kind of have to invest everything into it. Because I, from what I gather, you know, like just from the sizzle reel and even the trailer that's available, like on YouTube, I think the first thing someone says is like, don't do this. Don't open a comic book <laughs> shop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that that's kind of the, one of the questions I was curious about, you know, um, how many of these people had like, you know, as comic shop owners, did they have like positive experiences and saying like, oh, this is a business that I can live by okay? Or did you find that there were like trends where more and more comic shops were turning to like gaming or like like major releases of like Magic the Gathering or something like that in order to supplement some of the comic like sales and stuff? Or was it everything was just strictly comic books with only a handful that were selling games and stuff based on what you yeah, experienced? Yeah, no, it was definitely a mix. And that actually is a little bit of a debate in the movie. And that's uh, a segment of the movie mm-hmm. in particular. I'm especially proud of how that came out. And uh, sort of Funko Pops uh, represent that debate in the movie. They're, they're kind of like the lightning rod that the store, stores kind of okay. go back and forth over. Uh, and I'm a collector of the Funko Pops. But, you know, I know and mm-hmm. I mean, you, you'll see this in the movie. I mean, there are a number of shops who are adamant, like they don't want to carry those sorts of things. They pride themselves on being more of an old school shop. They're really just focused on comics and trade paperbacks. And then you have, you know, the the newer breed of stores that have embraced Funko Pops and gaming and apparel and, you know, a more diversified product line. And you do kind of have this split. And it's interesting, like I get both perspectives, you know, I certainly understand, you know, if, 
you know, you have an idea of, of what a comic shop should be. And especially if you've been doing this for a really long time, you know, it can be hard to, you know, sort of, you know, embrace these other product lines. So that was actually really, that was oh, sure. very interesting. But yeah, you do see a mix in, in the, in the movie as far as stores that, uh, you know, are those more old school shops and the newer breed. Did you happen to notice, obviously, like, you mentioned this is like super anecdotally. This is by no means a comprehensive overview of all the comic shops in the U.S. But um, we're curious about like if um, people around the country have like different reading habits based on the region that they're in or um, maybe like city shops being different than more suburban shops in terms of what they're selling. And like you said, some shops are selling like just the comics and some are diversifying their merchandise a little bit. So um, any kind of overall trends you were noticing? Yeah. You know, that is very interesting. And so, I mean, the, the short answer is generally no, but again, this, that's not to say that it's not happening, but just in terms of what I saw, that was, that's very interesting because when I started this, I kind of thought that the geography would play a little bit more of a role in terms of what I was seeing at the stores. And then what was ultimately, you know, captured in the documentary. And you definitely mm -hmm. see variety, you know, different stores are laid out differently and they have different aesthetics and different atmospheres and they carry different things. But from what I could tell, you know, and again, this might just be something that I wasn't aware of or went over my head. I don't know. But I, there wasn't really much that I could pinpoint specifically as being like, oh, they do this because they're in this part of the country. Mm -hmm. You're um, telling me that DC moved out to California for no reason. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> uh, but that again, you know, just just from what what I was observing. Um, so I'm sure there are, you know, I'm sure there are things like that. But you know, from what I saw, yeah, I I didn't observe a ton of that. All right. Um, we also we also really wanted to know because you know you put so much time and research into this whole concept. Uh, what do you now having done this whole documentary think are the big challenges for comic shop owners and have they really changed over the last decade yeah i mean it, it, i mean that's that's uh, you know a big question and interesting for me because it's like now it has been you know quite a few years since i worked at a shop um mm -hmm. but i mean as far as the challenges you know on a day-to-day -day basis there are I mean, to run any small business, there are certain challenges that you're going to face. But, you know, specifically in the comics industry, there are a number of challenges inherent to a comic shop, you know, having to pre-order, you know, having to order books two, two or three months in advance, uh, relying on imperfect information, dealing with, you know, shortages and damages, dealing with customers who don't pick up their books. I mean, I think those are, you know, when you talk really about like the, the daily grind of a comic shop, um, you know, and, and some of the, you know, pet peeves that you tend to hear from retailers, I think, uh, you know, those are some of the most common ones. And I, I you know, I've certain, certainly saw a lot of that. I mean, as far as some of the bigger picture challenges, you know, one of the things, and you saw it in the trailer there, we have artwork in there that kind of rep visually represents this, but this dichotomy between the popularity of comic book movies which, you know, make billions of dollars. And for the most mm -hmm. part, you're not really seeing that um, reflected in the stores for the most part. Uh, it's not like all of these people who are going to the movies are suddenly flocking to shops to, to read, the con read, these, read about these characters in their original form. Um, so, I mean, as far as like a bigger picture challenge, I mean, I, I think it's this is something that it always has been, which is, you know, how do you grow the audience? How do you find new people? How do you get those people into the shops? 
Um, what was encouraging was, you know, there are a number of instances in the movie where you see, you know, direct tangible efforts that stores are taking to try to do something. And one thing that, you know, immediately comes to mind that's in the film, um, Oh Yeah Comics right here in, in Harrison, which I know, Kara, you got to visit when they first opened, I think, right? I, yeah, I, I, I stepped in. I was like, wait, wait. The guys who do the cute comics now have a cute <laughs> comic store and it's 10 minutes from my house. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but so they set up at the, the local Alamo draft house uh, whenever there's a big superhero movie and they bring pops and trade paperbacks and things like that. So like that's a very specific step that a very proactive step that they're taking to try to catch people who are going to these movies and help kind of turn them into comic fans. So uh, so again, that was encouraging. And, and that's sort of you know, when we're talking about challenges, that was something that was a fine line to walk in the movie. I think we struck a nice balance, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to shy away from the realities of this and it's a hard business and it's often not very glamorous. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I didn't want this to be a doom and gloom look at the comics industry because I don't think that's fair either. I mean, I think there are a lot of stores that are doing really interesting things. You know, you have Amalgam Comics and Coffee House in Philadelphia. You know, they're a coffee shop and a comic shop. Like it's really a really interesting business model and they're doing great things, you know, within their store and in their surrounding community with events and things like that. So, you know, that was definitely a line to walk. But um, yeah, I mean, as far as challenges, I think those are some specific ones and then like a really big picture one. Um, that I that I saw. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear that. Like, it seems like the the onus is on the comic shops in order to drive customers. Because unfortunately, it seems like the publishers aren't really pushing that, especially when it comes to the big movies and stuff. You know, um, like how how bizarre would it be to see at the end of a film like and then go buy the comic this was based on at and here's a list of comic shops in the local area or something. Um, I realize that's maybe maybe asking for a lot, but. Um, Still, it's interesting to hear that the the onus is really on the comic book shops to try to put themselves in front of customers, in front of people at maybe the movie theater or something like that, in order to draw people in to say, "Hey, you could you could read more Batman, you could read more X Men." Yeah, well, um, that's but yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned all of that. Uh, so that because that's a question that I've had and I've explored that on the podcast too. It's like, who, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at the sort of the hierarchy in the, in the industry and who who has the power and the resources, it's like, you know, should it really be on the mom and pop comic shop to set up at the movie theater? You know, but what I think the, the interesting thing is, you know, publishers are doing things to try to grow the audience. Right. Like, you know, DC's whole Walmart mm-hmm. thing. And, uh, you know, again, digital comics, of course, the fact that, you know, DC is now on Comixology Unlimited and they have the app. So I think there are steps that are being taken at a higher level to try to get new people reading comics, but they're not necessarily steps designed to get someone to step foot in a comic shop, which is interesting. Right. Right. Yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned the the Walmart thing because I think that kind of frustrated both the internet and comic shops, I think, to a certain extent, to say, well, how, hold on, you're selling stuff that I can't get my hands on now. How, how am I supposed to like continue to sell comics to people? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that those are steps in the right direction to get comics in the hands of people. And it's like, where does, where is it the value actually supposed to be set in? Is it in the comic book shops who have based their entire, you know, organization around the ability to sell these things? Or is it on the publishers who are just trying to get the comics in people's hands? Um, which I'm, I'm, I know you don't necessarily have the answer because it's something that we've talked about on the show numerous times, um, in the past. And I don't think anyone has the answer because we all just want more people to read comic books. But at the same time, the local comic book shop is kind of the big 
thing and it, it has been a big thing you know since comic book shops have kind of shown up and over the last like what 30 40 years as being like comic book only shops um but it's at least it's at least it seems to me that like these shops aren't necessarily going anywhere right i mean despite all of the you know the issues that you think you pointed out earlier these shops aren't necessarily all failing and in fact i think more shops have opened in the last two years than they have in like the past decade or something um so at least it's it's good to hear that they they aren't like all doom and gloom and worried that this is going to be it 2020 is the last year or 2019 or 2018 is the last year for us um Unless you did come across shops like that, I need to see the film in order to actually know that that's happening. No, for the most part, yeah, no, I don't think there's you know that that degree of pessimism really you know anywhere in the movie. I think mm-hmm. you know sort of hanging over it, hanging over all of this is the fact that you know closure for you know one store or many stores you know is certainly a possibility, and that's why you know we, we're talking about mm-hmm. these challenges you know in the movie. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, that's certainly not the you know the the tone of the movie. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, one of the other things I was curious about was um, if you noticed any we, we kind of touched on this before, but if you noticed any trends on how like a shop was run based on how successful it was, like for instance, I know that there is a there's a comic shop in Michigan called Vault Comics and uh, or Vault of Midnight, excuse me, and they have basically expanded from one branch in Ann Arbor to two more branches, one in Detroit, one in Grand Rapids. Um, and to me, I think it's, I, and I used to shop there when I lived in Michigan. And so I think like their very welcoming atmosphere, their severe involvement in the community has helped them. Um, did you notice anything among the shops that you visited that were maybe doing a little bit better than other shops? Yeah, you I mean, visited? that's the thing. And, you know, going back to what you were saying before about, you know, sort of uh, how, how, you know, viable a living is it, you know, to, to run a comic shop. Mm-hmm. And there is a range. And I mean, you know, there are people in the movie who are saying, who say like, you know, we're, we've just started to pay our bills. You know, so it's not like they're necessarily drawing mm-hmm. much from it, but now they're at least a- able to sustain it. Um, you know, not so much said in the movie, but, you know, I know there are stores that, um, you know, the, a spouse works and, and is supporting it or there's money coming in from elsewhere. Um, it's kind of more of a, right, you know, right. a hobby business as opposed to, you know, uh, something that's they're living off of. Um, and then there are, there are retailers who, in the movie who talk about like, you know, I, I pay off, you know, I, I own my car and I, I pay my rent. Like, you know, they're, they're living off of what they make at the store. Um, but then there are mm-hmm. shops. I mean, and, and this was you know, again, going back to some of the more positive aspects, you know, there are stores that are very successful and, you know, a big part of the movie we, we spend on the, uh, the high end vintage back issue market, which was extremely eye opening for me, uh, as, as I learned more about it. I mean, it's, it's such big business, mm-hmm. uh, you know, torpedo comics in Las Vegas and metropolis collectibles in New right. York. I mean, you see right. the operations that these, <laughs> that these outfits have and, uh, the kinds of books that they're, they're dealing and the, you know, the, the price tags on them. And it's astounding. Um, so yeah, you know, that's the thing. And then the other aspect too, I mean, there are so many variables in this. I mean, we, you know, one is actually going back to geography, you know, where in the country you are and the value of real estate, like, you know, where alternate realities was, uh, in Scarsdale in, in Westchester, New York, you know, by the time the owner closed, his rent was about $7,000 a month for not a vast space. You know, Very you go to some space. of these... Uh, yeah. And you, know, you go to some of these other stores in other parts of the country. I mean, I don't know exactly what they're paying in rent, but I know it's, it's a fraction of, of what he was paying. And they have so much more space. I mean, there are a number of stores that rented the space next to them just to use for gaming or storage or things like that. So, you know, their overhead is entirely different than, you know, than what, what we faced at our store. So, you know, there's that there's that mm-hmm. wrinkle, too. Interesting. I, I was going to ask, you know, I, I 
the the community side of the thing seems to be something you you mentioned early on in, in the show for all the shops that you went to um did you notice that there were a handful of regulars i don't know how much time you were able to spend at these shops or did you happen to go in on wednesday to kind of get a feel of what this store was like on its busiest day of the week um but or were you there just like on a weekend or something and you kind of saw like oh these are regulars that already came in on wednesday but they're coming in again just to hang out um what was it like from shop to shop for you yeah, so I definitely I was at certain stores on Wednesdays. Um, other stores were not, and that was partly by design to kind of just show you know different <laughs> different days of the week, uh, but also just logistically in terms of when I was there. So that was kind of a mix. Um, I really I don't I can't say I was anywhere for a long enough period of time where I like really saw the same people coming back. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely got the sense, uh, you know, it's in the new trailer that uh, just came out. But one of the first things I filmed was the Action Comics 1000 uh, midnight release at Acme Comics in North Carolina. Right. And, um, I mean, I've you, you know, a lot, you know, <laughs> people who were there like that's their you know, that's their uh, you know, their regular crowd. And actually, I think I did see a few of them the next day because um, I did that Tuesday night release and then I was there the, the next day. Um, you know, so you right. definitely got to see that, but it's, you know, even if I wasn't there multiple days, I mean, you know, just sort of the, the instant recognition and the, you know, the conversations that, you know, would spring up in these stores, uh, you know, I mean, you definitely got the sense that these were, um, you know, this was a regular part of their routine. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So did you find your new comic shop anywhere in the U S are you still looking? <laughs> I knew that, nah, you know, I knew that was coming. I knew that question was coming and I was thinking about it, you know, um, I, you know, at the end of the day, no, like no, no, I don't think any store ever could, uh, replace alternate realities in my heart. Um, be, be, and it would be unfair to ask any other store to do that. I mean, the formative, you know, high school, college, like those were such formative years and, you know, being there as an employee and, you know, and a customer, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, so near and dear to me. That being said, um, and I don't say this at the expense of any of the stores, but I, I will will give a couple of shout outs. There were a couple of stores where I guess I felt most at home. Um, one was Fat Moose Comics in Whippany, New Jersey. That shop, uh, and I was there on a Wednesday, and their, their gathering uh, of their, their after work crowd uh, and just sort of the vibe in the store was probably the closest that I've seen that, that kind of reminded me of alternate realities. Um, yeah. Uh, so that was, that was very nice. And then, uh, and then Acme comics was probably the other one that, you know, was, um, not so much the same atmosphere, uh, but in terms of, again, like those, those regular faces and, uh, just the, 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 just the sense of community that you felt there. Um, and you know, so the, the manager of that store is Lord retail. Uh, now we won't go down an alternate realities rabbit hole, but, Karen knows. Yeah, I know. Well, all right, we can. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Karen knows, you know, the owner of Alternate Realities was Steve Odo, and he was, you know, kind of a larger-than-life character. He lived by uh, a set of Odoisms, as he called them, and he would refer to himself in the third person. And he was, you know, he was a very eccentric <laughs> character and exactly what you would want, I think, in a, in a retailer. And so Lord Retail – uh, very different, uh, very different approach, but even just his nickname, I mean, he's his grand nickname. He has, you know, a very distinct, uh, aesthetic that he, like he wears his fedora and his vest. 
Um, so like that aspect, uh, I really gravitated toward, uh, you know, I love, you know, I, I mean, all the retailers have their own personalities, but especially when we kind of get into that, you know, larger than life, like character, uh, I, I love that. So, uh, I, I definitely felt at home at, at Acme. Okay. I am going to hard left all of us into an alternate realities, um, rabbit hole because I, Please. <laughs> cause I, but I have no. I know okay. nothing about this shop. You guys, I feel like you guys <laughs> so, have talked about it, but as someone who hasn't wasn't wasn't there, what made you guys love right. this shop so much? So, I gotta Anthony, know. You should know that I regularly reference alternate realities to our listeners, and it's always in like very short, brief terms of like my LCS RIP. Like, <laughs> I just, it's still my LCS. Right, so, right, right. Um, let's uh let's paint a picture for our listeners about alternate realities, the formative years of comic books for both Kara and our guest Anthony. <laughs> so, oh, like when I, like I'll steal a line that I used in your documentary that one time, like walking into alternate realities was like, instantly I knew it was my comic book soulmate situation. Like there's just like Aww. these, it was like walking into kind of like this small cave of wonders, but everything's cardboard. Like there's just, there's just, there's just boxes everywhere, like floor to ceiling, like action figures that have been sitting on the shelf for like five years. Like the whole, the whole back of the shop and the side of the shop is like statues behind glass. And then there's like floppies on the right side when you walk in by this like elevated register situation where there's always at least like three dudes hanging out. Like, Ooh, it was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so funny because the things that you cite, you know, as things that you loved about the store, you know, for for some of us, they were, you know, kind of frustrations. You know, the fact that there, you know, and I guess there's a fine line between, you know, like, uh, you know, cluttered and, you know, uh, I don't know, like a more lived in feel. Like you said, there was there was it was a small space. There was no room. So maximizing the floor space everyone in new york has to do this at some point in their lives it's just reality but no like that's the thing you know so again i think you know we would have always liked a little less clutter but you know we've heard you know you just said it now we've heard from other customers who who kind of like that and it gave it gave it that like cozy feel and you know an opportunity for discovery to search through things um so yeah you know it definitely like there was a lot of stuff like there was always something you know to look through and you know no matter how many times you were there and you know i mean you were there regularly but like you know i mean what on a weekly basis i mean like for those of us who were there multiple days per week we were still always looking through stuff so uh, i mean you know there was something to be said for that i'm so flattered you think i was there weekly it would be months between i would come to pick up my poll list i'm one of those people yes i was one of those people Steve knew I was good for the money every time, but sometimes it would be three months before I could get to the shop. Because when I was a teenager, I was relying on my parents for rides, and they're not exactly thrilled about me spending like 50, 60, 70, 100 dollars every time I'm going in the shop. They're like, Do you do you need these things, Kara? Do you really? So and the answer like, is yes. <laughs> it was enough to like get them to drive me there. So sometimes it would be well, college I made it more frequently. There was that time I was fun employed for a while. That's the weekly time. That's when I was making cookies for everybody. Oh, see, I guess that's what made the biggest impression on me. And then now in my head, oh my gosh, she was there all the time. <laughs> that was when I didn't have anything else going on because I literally could not find a job. But you know, <laughs> I see. I see. Everyone had that moment. Um, but yeah, like. For me, being in the shop was really about kind of 
having a place to go where like everything was great in terms of like, you know, high school, you're kind of figuring out your whole deal. And part of me figuring out my whole deal was like getting way too into the Teen Titans. And that's how I found the shop in the first place. Cause I was like, I need more Teen Titans. What do you mean? They're comic books also, not just a television show. And then I ended up like bringing all my friends and I got one of my friends like she turned into like a serious Green Lantern junkie. Like she bought more books than I did. So, you know, and we would just like she and I would sit in the aisle and somehow not get kicked out of the shop. We would just like sit down for a couple hours and just gossip and just like be in our own little world. And like the shop was fine with that to an extent, I guess. (laughs) So <laughs> you weren't bothering anybody, right? It was fine. And then, um, so Anthony, you mentioned briefly uh, Steve Odo, the the owner of the store, and his Odoisms. And I actually wrote down my favorite one in the notes prepping for this episode here right now, which is everything sells eventually. <laughs> and I just I just remember, um, like I was looking at the, they're like action figures that had been there for a million years kind of by the front door and there's this like I forget if it was flipper or like a different dolphin but there's like this little plastic dolphin in the original packaging and I'm like Steve why do you even have this like what are you going to do with this and he's like everything sells eventually and like I had been seeing that dolphin for like eight years I swear to god and the next time I came in Steve was like the dolphin sold (laughs) so I was like (laughs) Okay. All right. Everything sells eventually. Got it. Log that one away. I mean, he's still living by that and everyone will see in the documentary, you know, he, he took all of the remaining merch when the store closed, he took all of the remaining merchandise and they're now stored in these vast storage units and you get to see them in the documentary and it, he oh. has it set up like the store. I'm going to cry. Oh, no way. Oh, no. Uh, which, you know, again, I'm always curious to know what, how, you know, how people, you know, what people's take on that is. And it's for them to you know, it's for them to decide. But, yeah, the whole like everything eventually sells, you know, I don't know. That can kind of cut both ways. The right outlook. When is eventually. Um, but, you know, exactly what you said. Like and that, I think, you know, honestly was the same thing for me with alternate realities and why. You know, I think that this move. I know, you know, this is a comic centric podcast, and hopefully, you know, I, I'm assuming comics fans listening to this. But we're all nerds. It was really, right? Go on. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, don't worry no. about it. <laughs> but you know, for me, like it was important with this documentary. Like I wanted to, I wanted it to do justice to people who are in this and know it, whether you're a customer, collector, or a retailer, or a creator, or a publisher. Like I wanted it mm-hmm. to be legitimate and, and you know, and a and a fair take on the industry. But it was also important to me. I want to reach people beyond, you know, just the comics industry. And I think this whole idea of community and having this place and the face-to-face interactions, you know, I think that's what people, you know, that's what resonates with people. And I've seen that at that various fest- festival screenings for the movie. You know, that's I think what is able to draw people in. Um, but specifically with alternate realities, like yeah, Car- like it was the same thing for me. You know, especially those high school and college years. Like I didn't have other people in my life who were into comics, and so like to go to that store, you know, and all of a sudden like you know have people to to talk to about this. Like it it really meant a lot. And then you know once I started working there and I was surrounded by all this stuff all the time, uh, you know, it was uh, I could not have asked for more. So that's why like again. 
I don't think it's fair to ask any other store to, to <laughs> replicate that type of experience for me because it was so formative. I don't think anything could. Can I tell you one of my favorite days at the shop ever? Yes. <laughs> one of my favorite days as the at the shop ever was, um, I think it was like a weekend or a long weekend and Steve was out of town. And like you and the other employees had conspired to just have a mega sale on everything without him knowing. <laughs> I lost my mind. I was like, 50% off statues? I'm buying five of them. 50% off trades? I'm buying 10. I've spent so much money that day. And I have to tell you, one of the things that I bought, I was looking at this like tiny like half statue of Admiral Akbar from Star Wars. And... um. I was with my friend who I dragged into all this nonsense with me. And I was like, I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm not buying it. I don't need it. And she's like, Carrie, you have literally been looking at this statue for like five years now. It's 50% off. It's now or never. I was like, no, but like, I don't need it. I'm buying all these other statues. And she was like, for fuck's sake, it's $25. I'll buy it for you. And she did. And that's like the one thing I have with me throughout all of like my moves and travels and different jobs. I just like Admiral Akbar's on my desk reminding me eternally, A, it's a trap and B, your friends love you and C, buy the fucking statue. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> No, that's awesome. And I got to tell you, like, like I, I know exactly that what you're talking about. I mean, that, that, those were some they didn't happen all that often. But when Steve would go, go out of town and let us mind the shop, those were some of our favorite times, too. You know, Lucky again, Steve. going back. Yeah, no, of course. And, you know, but it's funny because going back to this whole thing of like, you know, just the approach to the business and everything eventually sells, you know, if there was one tension ever, you know, in the store, I, I think it was that like, I think for those of us, some of the former owners and those of us who work there, you know, I think we wanted we wanted to move product more. You know, if Steve got a new collection in, he would want to you know, kind of hold on to it for a while. Whereas we would try to push him to be like, no, like you got to price these and get them out. Um, and then similarly with, you know, some of the, you know, the overstock and things that kind of had their day and then we're just sitting there, you know, a lot of us were kind of always the, of the opinion. It's like, Hey, like discount it, move it, get it out, get something new in there, rotate things. Um, you know, whereas Steve was more of that, every, it'll eventually sell mentality. But yeah, when we had our opportunities, when, <laughs> when he would go away, <laughs> Uh, we would do what we could. And he, you know, he mostly knew what we were doing. We weren't doing anything, uh, you know, really that we shouldn't have been. But I will say I, it might have been that time or it might have been one of the others. Bill Mayo, uh, one of my former co-workers there, he, we, we made up a sign that said and maybe I don't know if you remember this, but there was a sign that said like the make me a, make me an offer. Steve's out of town sale. <laughs> and we hit, we hit it. And we, we, you know, we had the sign up while he was away and then we hid the sign. Because, uh, again, there was so much stuff buried all the time. And he and I were like, you know what? One day Steve will find this and we'll all mm. have a laugh. And we, we've stuck it in a box. And sure enough, and I have the photo. I can send it to you. I've posted it on Facebook a while back. Oh but God. sure enough, like one Wednesday, I happened to be there and Steve found it. <laughs> it was great. And I'll send you the photo because his, his expression is priceless. Oh, incredible. Oh, man. I, I like um, I think there was. A, a former store regular who then moved to Arizona, like somewhere in the Southwest and was in, in town for one of those sales. And I distinctly remember having a moment where I was like, I'm going to get in a fight with this guy. If he doesn't give me that poison Ivy statue right now, there was like <laughs> one last poison Ivy statue and I really wanted it. And he had it in his hands. And I think I must've looked like I was about to commit murder because he was like, you take it. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Like those those sales were real. <laughs> you know, I'm curious, Anthony. I, you know, you said you brought up this idea that you know you'd bring it, get a collection into the shop, and then you hold on to it. Did you find that maybe some of the other shops that you talked to also did things like that, where they'd be like, "Oh, look, we've got this whole run, or we've got this special edition comic, or something that's slated, or you know, blocked, or whatever you call it," um, and they just didn't want to get rid of it. They wanted to kind of show it off as like a piece to just say, "Hey, look, we've got this," and maybe you'll buy something else while you're here. I I did not get that sense, uh, at least from the stores that I went to. Uh, okay. Again, it, okay. you know, it, it might be a factor, but not not that I particularly noticed. I mean, if anything, um, you know, I got the sense the the retailers I spoke to were a bit more mindful of um, of you know not falling into that trap and of having that separation. Um, you, you know, because and I, that's another interesting thing about the comics industry and with comic shops where you know, in virtually every instance, I mean, the, the person running the store is a fan. And so you kind of right. have to divorce yourself from from that. And that can be really hard. And I think, you know, at Alternate Realities, I think that was definitely, I mean, he has admitted it as much, you know, for Steve that, you know, he approached a lot of it as a collector. And so he didn't want to part with things and, you know, he wanted to have them. And, you mm-hmm. know, when you're running a business, that's, you know, that that can be problematic in a dif- difficult uh, situation. Right, right. I was going to say, I mean, you got to think that as a fan, you you maybe go, well, I'm going to maybe buy this for myself, even though I just got it from somewhere else. <laughs> but um, <laughs> eventually you run out of space. And, I, you know, as we all do as comic book fans. Um, <laughs> it, that's the thing. I know it's this it's really the space, I think. I mean, the money, of course, but the, it's the space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess, Carrot, I don't know. Do you have any last final questions you wanted to get out before we, we wrap things up? I did. I do have I, I have. A terrible, horrible question for everyone involved in this chat right now. Oh, no. If, okay. If you were to open a comic shop today, but you can, <laughs> today, but you can only stock five books, what are those five books? Oh, brother. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, you, Sorry. you, you, you got to go with it in two ways, right? You pick your favorites that you really like, or you pick the ones that you know are going to sell. So you just pick X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman, no, Superman. Favorites. favorites. <laughs> the ones you feel passionately about, because if you're passionate enough about them, you can, you can convince other people to like them too. Listen, I'm just somebody's trying to make money like, here, Kara. No, somebody's <laughs> going to like one of those five books you like. I'm with Mike on this. I got I don't want to not to team up against you, but I'm, I'm with, I think <sighs> you got to go with you got to go with like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, X, like, I don't know. You got to go with with the heavy hitters. Okay. You go with the heavy hitters, but then you leave your fifth spot for something that you truly love and cherish. And I think capitalist cynics. OK, I'm doing I'm I'll go first. Um, I'm doing Superman Birthright because it's the only Superman book that matters. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's, boy, that's, am I with you. I'm, I'm oh, with so you. Good. Not that it's the only one that matters, but it's the only I'm origin little... story that matters. I'll give you yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I feel very strongly about Superman Birthright. Huge, huge fan, actually, of Selena's big score. It's a Catwoman story that Darwin Cook did where she's, mm-hmm. like, not actually in costume. It's, like, just... It's like her as Selena Kyle doing this like retro James Bondy heist. And I find myself returning to it over and over again. And I'm just like, oh, why is this book so good? All right. I should probably pick something from Marvel. So um, Moon Knight, uh, that Moon Knight run from from a couple years ago where everything was like minimal dialogue and really intense colors. I feel oh, like that. that's. Yeah. 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 
I feel like that's a really accessible book. I'm so sorry to the creative team. I'm like blanking on it right now. Jordi Belair did colors. All right. Yeah. That's it was like Jeff Lemire, I think. And then they swapped artists between um, Frank Francesco Francavia and uh, Greg Smallwood, I think. And Jordi Belair did all the colors because she's fucking incredible. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. No, that was pretty wild. All right. So that's three. I should probably do some non-big two books, shouldn't I? I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, it's no, your store. It is my store. Okay. Um, let me think. Um, gonna go with a more like all ages situation. I'm torn between Lumberjanes and Nimona, and my fifth spot is absolutely Giant Days. I will make everyone read Giant Days if it kills love it. me. I love it. <laughs> okay. I, I think I think I've got it. I think I've got it. Do I it. sell so my my comic shop only sells very short, limited run books, and also manga because that's something that actually that we didn't get a chance to touch on and you know anthony maybe we we can have you back on the show just to talk about manga in in comic shops because i'm really curious about that as well um but i think i sell my hero academia x-men legacy that's the simon spurrier run um that i love to death um we only have copies of laura dean keeps breaking up with me because i love that book to death (laughs) um we sell i'm looking at my bookshelf as i'm trying to do this (laughs) <laughs> um, we we all we also sell Zero by Alish Cott and the eighteen various artists that he did with that book. Ooh, and yeah. hmm, mm. I, I feel like I got to pick an X another X Men book, but I think that I would go with Tom King's Batman run just because I really liked it, and it's the only okay. full Batman run that I really read. All right, all right that's, that's fair. That's that's, 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 that's a heavy, heavy hitter right there. there. That's, that's going to be your. Uh, your, your yeah, that's that's going to keep the lights on while you try to sell, sell everything else. <laughs> exactly. So, Anthony, we've given we've tried to give you some time. Do you have any <laughs> thoughts on what your five could be? <laughs> yes, I know. I'd be like, oh, what could I? So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to divorce like, oh, what I think would sell versus like what I'm truly passionate about. But I'll go with right. like my really some of my all time favorites, and this will be a very DC heavy list. Sure. Um, I'll go with a different Darwin Cook selection, New Frontier. Ooh, yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. So we're definitely yeah, yeah. going to go with that. Again, keeping in the DC realm, one of my all-time favorites, Gotham Central. Oh, Ooh. such a good oh, book. So underrated. That. Oh, And I mean, and that's something like you want to talk about a book that could potentially get someone who's not into comics into comics. I mean, I think that's that's a perfect entry point for someone. Totally. Totally. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, still technically DC, but not superheroes. Uh, one of my all-time favorite series, Why the Last Man. We gotta, we gotta include that. Nice, nice. Being turned our... into a show, you've got your crossover marketing right there. Yeah, you're done, man. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> I know, I know. All right, let me do. I'll do something Marvel. Um, as much as I'm a DC fan, like I mean, there, I uh, there is some Marvel that I really like. Spider-Man and Daredevil are among my favorite characters in all of mm-hmm. comics. Um. I guess I'd be kind of torn between like Spider-Man Blue. I mean, that's one one specific story versus Ooh, yeah. uh, like the Bendis Daredevil run. Uh, that's really oh. up there for me. Oh yeah, see, you're you're good. Your your comic shop's gonna sell way more than mine. I can already tell you that. But um. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. We'll go with Bendis Daredevil because that has multiple volumes. We can we can sell more. <laughs> and then, listen, uh, I picked My Hero Academia because you know what? That's that book is never gonna never stop. Gonna stop. <laughs> <laughs> Very smart. Uh, and then, I mean, all right, so for number five, I mean, Superman's my all-time favorite character. Uh, and I got to go with Birthright as well. It's my favorite telling of of the origin. And I got to say, so Mark Wade is in the documentary, and getting to mm-hmm. meet him and interview him for that was yeah. very, very cool. 
Yeah, that was, yeah. I realized we we didn't touch on a lot of assets, and I but that really blew my mind when I saw him for a moment in the in the trailer. I was like, "Whoa, this is this is super cool." One one time, I had an opportunity to interview Gail Simone, and it was a trash fire because the entire time I was just like, "I love your work so much. You are the best. <laughs> Please let me explain to you exactly how formative you were and as me as a comic reader." So, like, I hope you were more professional than I was when I did that. I. Well, oh yeah, I mean it, it went it went well, but it was funny. So I like for all of the interviews, I mean I would jot down notes ahead of time, but some I, I didn't need to do as much prep as others. But with Wade, like I over prepared because I was like, in case I just get so nervous, like, I could just you know, read what I fair. have. Yeah. Um, but everything went well, but it was really funny. So my wife was with me for virtually all of the filming, and she did say after that one, she was like, you know, I can tell you were a little nervous. Um, but I was like, I, you know, he's one of my all time favorite writers. And, and again, yeah. Superman birthrights, my, you know, my, my favorite Superman origin story, but he was wonderful. And honestly, like having him in the movie, Paul Levitz is in the movie as well. Oh, nice. And it's, and it's like, you know, having these people, I mean, not that, I mean, it's wonderful having all of the retailers, but getting people, you know, from the creative side and the publishing side, I think adds, you know, even more legitimacy to this. Uh, so that was important to me. I wanted to try to represent those perspectives too. And I was honored that they were, you know, willing to participate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, I guess you know we should we should probably wrap up here. Unless Carrie had some final thoughts here. I I, I could talk about all of this all day, so just stop me now. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, well, you know, um, I guess before we leave, you know, uh, Anthony, if folks want to follow you and follow up more on on this this documentary after they see it and they've got burning questions, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, so uh, on social media, it's uh, my comic shop country on Facebook. My Comic Shop Country Movie on Instagram and My Comic Shop Doc on Twitter. And then the podcast is My Comic Shop History, and that's on Apple Podcasts and most uh, major podcast platforms. And then the movie itself, My Comic Shop Country, is on uh, is available to rent or purchase on Apple TV and Amazon. Awesome. Awesome. Well, everyone, you should go out there. Grab a copy of this movie, watch it, and then send your burning questions over to Anthony on Twitter or Facebook, wherever you do things. Um, Anthony, this was so fantastic. My Comic Shop Country is out on April 7th, 2020. So when this episode airs, you will have already, you'll be already be able to go buy it and check it out. Um, this, is, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Anthony. This is great. Thank you. Really, thank you both. I really had a great time. It was wonderful. Uh, it was great catching up and reminiscing about alternate realities. And it was great meeting you, Mike, uh, and having yes, this chat. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I guess you can you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Kara at Kara Sam. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where we post all sorts of things. We're also on Instagram at IRCB Podcast. You know all of this. This show and our many subscriber-only episodes, including Saga of Saga happening now, are powered by fans like you on Patreon. Join now at patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you join us on Discord for Hangouts and just general cool times. We play D&D sometimes. If that's a thing you're into, we do that over there. That's over at ircbpodcast.com slash Discord. Make sure to tell a friend or two about the show as well. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all the music for our show. We can't thank them enough for letting them us, letting us use their music. Xander is a high wizard, a great guy, and he edits the show. I want to say thank you to Anthony and Kara for being on this episode. Thank you to all the listeners out there. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you.